Section 21 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. East Coast Notes. Chapter 1. Some Bird Notes. Part 3. Awkward Malts. Birds usually molt at an opportune season. The wild duck, for instance, when food is in plenty and shelter assured, and he does it thoroughly. Other birds which have to be continually on the wing take a longer period, and, as a rule, do not shed too many feathers at a time for safety and convenience sake. But exceptions occur, and sometimes disastrously. On June the 30th, 1903, I was rowing up the St. Olives River when I fell in with a common gull, Larus Canus, and very speedily secured it, finding it incapable of flight, owing to a loss of most of its primaries. It was otherwise wholly uninjured. On the same date, strangely enough, Another bird in the very same plight was captured on the seashore. On September the 18th, I saw a young guillemot on Braden without flight feathers, a long way from his Yorkshire birthplace. The Red-Backed Shrike Some correspondence took place in the county Daly in May 1896 respecting the doings of the red-back shrike, Lanius Collurio, a bird which appears to be greatly on the decrease, at least in this neighbourhood. Up to the 70s, it was not rare around Caister, and it nested in an old hawthorn hedge, since demolished, on the North Deans as late as 1878, in which year I watched an adult bird busy at his larder. He was feasting on a short-tailed field mouse, and had for dessert a humble bee or two and some beetles. He was very saucy, probably noticing I carried no gun, and he flew a short distance ahead of me, as I endeavoured to find out what other victims he had been spitting. One writer appeared to doubt the shrike's inclination to attack animals. Another, replying from Haddiscoe, wrote as follows. Your correspondent, observer, asks if the shrike preys on small animals as well as insects. The red-backed shrike will kill small birds and even young pheasants. It is here called the nine-killer being supposed to kill nine head of game, which it impales on thorns before it commences to eat them. Several pairs visit the district in which I reside. They are very affectionate to each other, both old and young, and when grown, the young ones will live and hunt with the old birds. Two years ago, I was in close proximity to a gamekeeper's house, not trespassing, but was on the turnpike road, when the screaming of a pair of shrikes attracted my attention. 
By their actions I supposed at once they were attacking something, and soon observed them raiding a covey of very small pheasants. Their hooked beaks soon told a tale on the innocents, two of which they literally scalped within a few feet of their mother, who, either with the knowledge of my presence, or fear of the shrikes, cowered down and allowed them to do as they liked. I dared not venture into the field where the slaughter was committed, for the gamekeeper might have misinterpreted my intentions. The shrikes left their prey and, perching upon the fence, began to insult me. However, I cleared them off with a few stones and proceeded on my journey. A friend of mine living at Belton, who is an enthusiastic beekeeper, complained to me of the nuisance some red-backed shrikes were to him. On one occasion he obtained a nest of shrikes, and placing them in a cage, hung them up in a fork of an apple tree, with a view to securing the cooperation of the parent birds in their upbringing, which unaided he considered would have entailed far too much labour. The old birds discovered their young, and attended them most assiduously, constantly bringing lizards, mice, wasps, butterflies, humblebees, and some of his own. The floor of the cage, he assured me, was strewn with muck of that sort, many scarcely hurt, which crawled and fluttered about the cage, like a menagerie. He was so impressed with the need of so large and varied a supply that as soon as they were sufficiently fledged to fly, he let them go, afterwards wishing he had not, for they set their affections so strongly on his bees that, had he not turned to and shot em, they would have devastated his hives. Temperature and Feathers Sinjan, in his book Sportsman and Naturalist Tour in Sutherland, appears to have noticed the effect of severe cold on the plumage of the snow bunting. Scarcely, he says, any two of the snow buntings are quite alike. In the first flocks that come, there are only a few which are light-coloured, but as the snow and frost increase, the white birds become more numerous. The same remarks apply to those I have noticed in this neighbourhood. In sharp weather with much snow, they keep more to the sand dunes on the coast. In rough but open weather, they are found on the marshes, and by the banks of the rivers, and on Braden. Our bird-catchers have a notion that the whiter birds are the males, and dispose of them as such. I noticed in the very wintry January of 1891 that a great many of the common snipes shot had become exceptionally light-coloured, greatly reminding me at the time of specimens faded from being exposed to too strong a light. Wild Geese The visits of wild geese to this neighbourhood are, 
with the exception of those of the Brent Goose, very uncertain, and I am inclined to think, having regard to local conditions, that they must always have been so, at least for centuries. In hard winters, with prolonged snowstorms, Brent geese are not uncommon off the coast, but the other species are irregular in their visits, and like the Brent, these depend greatly upon stress of weather. But the most curious thing respecting them is that one particular species seems always to predominate in numbers. During December, several odd birds are shot. In one instance, three were killed on Braden by a punt gunner named Fred Clark. They were all bean geese. Answer, Sagitum. One year, pink-footed geese, and Sir Brachyrhynchus, will be ascendant. Another, white-fronted geese, and Sir Albifrons. During the second week of March, 1904, six Brent geese put in an appearance on Braden, and made themselves very much at home. It being close season, they remained undisturbed. They found much to interest them among the Zostera mariner, and stayed with us until April the 16th, on which date I saw them marching about the flats. Whilst watching them from the bank, I observed some boys who were winkling, and who, attracted by their apparent tameness, walked in their direction, as if to see how near they could approach them. This the geese resented, and finding the place getting too lively for them, they took to wing, and, mounting high in the air, turned and flew away in an easterly direction and did not afterwards return. This was quite an unusual period for their visiting us. Unfortunately, added to the rarity of their appearance, they are such a desirable prey that gunners are soon after them, and a study of their habits becomes impossible. On June the 7th, I received a postcard from Alton, which ran as follows. Dear Mr. Patterson, I have observed for many years small parties of wild geese migrating over here during first week of June. Yesterday they came as usual, quite low, and alighted on the marshes. What are they, and whence? One year I identified burnicles, Curiously enough, geese are never seen here regularly at any other time. Signed, W.S.E. I replied to W.S.E.'s communication, and he again wrote on June the 29th. Dear Mr. Patterson, I thank you very much for your letter of yesterday but you do not seem to have caught the point of my last. I should never have thought anything of seeing geese in June casually, but I have observed three small skeins pass over from north to south for forty years, always about the same date. 
I originally thought they were Brent's, as in 1869 half a dozen passed within 30 yards of me, but since then I have twice identified Burnacles, and this twice are the only occasions I have ever identified Burnacles in Norfolk and Suffolk at any time of the year. Forty years ago, pink-footed were commonest and fed regularly in winter on Barnaby marshes. But of late years, what few geese are seen about here are mostly frontiniacs. Another great change is occurring. Teal are becoming so scarce that if it continues, they will soon become extinct. There are a few breeding in the centre of Norway still, where I shoot, and on the top of a moderately low mountain, where snow melts by mid-June, and does not lie again thereon until late September, I find in late August Golden Plover and Dotterel to have bred there. P.S. A moorhen last week made an apology of a nest on the cover of one of my boats moored in the reeds here, and laid three eggs. On Sunday I got an old basket, covered it with dead rush, and made her quite a natural nest on top, placing the three eggs therein. Within an hour, at 11am, she laid a fourth egg on the boat cover, and pulled the eggs out of my nest, breaking one, which I consider an extraordinary action on the moorhen's part. Signed, W.S.E. Bird Extermination the following facts are written without comment. The reader may place what construction he chooses upon them. On September the 4th, 1906, 13 ducks were observed to come in from seaward and alight on the northwest side of Braden. An amateur puntsman named Youngs, who was lurking under the walls hard by, immediately sculled after them and got a charge of BBs into their midst with telling effect. Nine birds were killed or maimed, and although they had on arrival appeared tired and remarkably tame, the wounded ones, by diving and the use of their wings, gave him an arduous half-hour in retrieving them by doubling after them, and by the use of his shoulder-gun. One bird, spoiled by decapitation for a specimen, was eaten by Mr. Young's. The other eight were sold to Mr. Saunders, a local taxidermist. A tenth wounded bird managed to reach the marshes, but was soon picked out of a ditch by a marshman named Dan Bannum, who ended its career in the oven. I called on Mr. Saunders on the 5th, and saw four birds still in the flesh, four having already been made into skins. They were unmistakably red-crested potchards, Netta, Rufina, Pallas. They were, of course, by no means so distinguished in appearance as birds shot in nuptial dress. The plumage, to my mind, 
greatly resembled that of an adult female smew and indeed the general contour of the birds was slim and rakish like that dainty creature the white shoulder patches and that of the lesser wing coverts secondaries and primaries were very conspicuous the toes of six of the birds were naples yellow with a suggestion of redness the webs being blackish these were males the other two had greenish tinted toes i suggested these were females and this proved to be so on dissection the cap was reddish brown and the beak scarlet lake we had a look at the windpipe and were much struck with its peculiarities of conformation i made a rough watercolour sketch of the best bird and obtained three large parasites trinotum luridum which under the microscope look hairy and forbidding their general appearance suggesting much tenacity of purpose had i been earlier mr saunders remarked i could have had more and been welcome to them for they made things lively for him for a time the author provides the following footnote on my forwarding these parasites to mr r hancock of birmingham he identified them as trinotum luridum one perfect the other two in varying stages of growth he informs me that this parasite has been found on the widgeon golden eye pintail teal smew and goosander End of footnote. According to the field of September the 15th, two birds of this species were shot on the 8th on Hickling Broad by Alfred Nudd, a keeper, a duck being secured, but the drake was not recovered until two days later, and was consequently spoiled, I believe, by rats. In all probability, these belong to the same flock. Mr. J. H. Gurney, in suggesting the likelihood of the then prevailing heat wave having brought them hither, remarked that, at any rate, the poor things met with a warm reception. The prevailing winds had for some time been southerly. So far, one bird had not been accounted for but information reached me that a second wounded bird had been found in a ditch near James Bannum's farm, and I was assured by Bannum that his lad recovered it, and his wife brought it to Yarmouth Market the following day, where it was sold to a man named Dockra for ninepence for eating. Both Dockra and Bannum independently gave me a description of the bird, which quite satisfied me that it was a crested duck, the former expressing his regret at cooking it, having already been made acquainted with its rarity and probable value as a specimen. I ate one carcass and found it as delicious a duck as I ever drew out of an oven. A few days later, I was assured by a punt gunner who saw young shoot the birds 
that there were eighteen and not thirteen only and shortly after i found that a mr boning had killed two at hickling on october the eighteenth a male in a very forward change of plumage being secured the other was lost i saw this bird at saunders he had set it up exactly like the one in the illustration in howard saunders manual the head had assumed its red tints saved for a streakiness still observable at the margins and the black of the breast was still somewhat spotty with grey i was astonished at the quick change exhibited four glossy ibises plegardus vulcanellus was seen on braden on the morning of september the fourth they appeared to be very tired and presently alighted on the marshes the wind was south and my diary records the day as fearfully hot in the morning i saw the gunner youngs already referred to in a somewhat excited state he had seen them and threatened to run up in the afternoon to secure them if possible he did not but as already narrated he fell in with the red crested ducks instead the ibises remained in the neighbourhood for some days but got away unscathed but they were fated not to escape the vigilant eye of the gunner on october the nineteenth mr j h gurney wrote me as follows the four glossy ibises have all been accounted for three in ireland and one in sussex so their peregrinations are over two red-throated divers colimbus septentrionalis made their way to our neighbourhood in october nineteen o six attracted thither no doubt by the inshoring of the herrings an old shore gunner of my acquaintance who is a keen shot went after them one day he killed one of them and the bird was shown me it had the red on the neck prettily mottled and streaked with grey a few days after this same gunner slew the other which had kept in the neighbourhood i also saw this and was astonished to find it entirely minus the flight feathers the primaries which were the merest soft stumps possible and a margining of white fluffy down marks the outside of the secondary feathers did this bird moult in this neighbourhood or had it never as yet assumed its primaries if so it had travelled a long way from its native shores and must have performed the journey by swimming and drifting with the tides it was as fat as a mole and in event of bad weather or an easterly gale must inevitably have become tired out and come to grief these birds have a steady and well-sustained flight one that i got fairly close to on october the thirteenth nineteen o six before it saw me took to wing with the alacrity of a duck and flew a mile in an undeviating flight 
before settling on the waves again. In April 1903, a remarkable invasion of the ferruginous duck, Fuligula niroca, occurred in the neighbourhood, the more noticeable from the time of the year and the singularity of their being mostly males. Mr. J. H. Gurney thus refers to their advent in the zoologist. It was during April that Mr. Patterson announced in the field that there had been a notable visitation of the Niroka, or white-eyed duck. They either came in or divided themselves into two flocks, which together amounted to twenty, one flock going to Rollsby Broad, the other settling, on the 15th, on Hickling Broad, where these strangers only too quickly attracted attention. The presence of such a large number of this rare duck at one time in England is curious, and it is to be regretted that they were not fully protected, and that some persons who ought to have known better molested them. No such appearance of Niroka ducks has been put on record in East Anglia before, and it is to be feared there is little inducement for any to come again. Four were seen at the same time in the west riding of Yorkshire. As Mr Gurney said, these strangers soon attracted attention. But, as it was close season, accounts of what happened to them only leaked out in interested circles. The ducks were unfortunate in visiting a part of the Broadlands which is most strictly preserved, and, from what I learnt afterwards, they were well looked after, by those who hold the exclusive right to shoot over these particular portions of the Norfolk Broads. I think I can truthfully state that they shared the self-same fate meted out to the red-crested ducks, and were preserved as effectively. Our local sportsmen hold the theory that, as strange birds are but the merest stragglers to our shores, their slaughter cannot much affect the race. And furthermore, they have an axiom that if we don't shoot them, somebody else will. To exterminate a species. To show my utter disgust at the methods pursued by so-called naturalists, I publish a letter which shows how, for poultry pelf, a rare and beautiful British bird may be pursued to its utter extinction. It is well known that this true Britisher, the bearded tit, has a very limited habitat today, and but for the efforts of some enlightened folk to preserve it, might soon become as extinct as the dodo. Something, April the 6th, 1892. Dear Sir, could you get me bearded tits in the flesh? Can give you three shillings and sixpence each. Also, nests and eggs of same. If at any time you can offer pied or albino birds, shall be glad to hear from you. Signed, 
yours blank hooked birds it is not a rare thing for guillemots to be hooked by sea anglers fishing from piers and breakwaters and catching gulls by means of baited hooks was by no means unknown amongst the smacksmen in the seventies and eighties when smacking was one of yarmouth's chief industries a very lively sporting adventure occurred on one of the broads some years since when the late captain birch and the late fielding harmer were pike fishing with live bait during a few minutes in attention while they were busy at something on the floor of the boat the float and line were taken into the reed clump and a violent commotion ensued the loose line becoming woefully entangled in the reeds the anglers thought they had certainly hooked an exceedingly lively jack but when they had set matters pretty straight again and the catch came into view they were greatly astonished to find that they had foul hooked by the leg a miserable coot hybrid ducks from time to time i have met with on the poultry stalls hybrid ducks that had been shot in the neighbourhood some ducks hailing from morby decoy of a very dark variety with a white bar on the wing which made them easily distinguishable as belonging to the same brood were killed at various times undoubtedly they were the offspring of a wild mallard and a strangely coloured tame duck crosses between the mallard and gaily marked tame fowl were by no means rare at one time and were distinguished by the name of marsh ducks when walking up and down the ranks of yarmouth market on january the twentieth nineteen o six as is my usual custom on saturdays during the shooting season in search of any interesting fowl that may turn up i was attracted by an odd-looking duck hanging with a mallard on a stall on closer inspection i found it to be a remarkably pretty hybrid between a mallard and a black east indian duck the head was glossy greenish black as was the back underneath the bird was a patch of white with another spot of white on the throat and the breast was a dark brown the black feet were small the toes only showing a brown streak and the black upper mandible was relieved by a light brown patch on either side the bird was in fine condition and undoubtedly a male i should have purchased it for the tollhouse museum but the good woman couldn't for the life on her say the price of it as her husband had not set the figure her grace the duchess of bedford to whom i mentioned this incident replied crosses between common mallard and black east india ducks are common whenever they are kept together we have them here at woburn and i have seen them at lord portsmouth's place in hampshire and in scotland on the tay scalp duck the scalp duck 
fuligula marilla does not often put in an appearance here until driven in by hard weather from which circumstance it is known as the hard fowl for some unaccountable reason unless there had been some rough weather farther north a decided migration of this species was observed in the neighbourhood in october eighteen ninety eight i saw over thirty on durrant's poultry stall on october the eighth he had received forty-four by the tenth and i saw six on a countryman's stall on the same date mr j h gurney reported in the zoologist referring to the tenth received three live scalp drakes from sam decoy cage and about the same time there was a sudden abundance of them at the mouths of our rivers and similar places several were reported from various stations in the country at the same time many wild swans in most cases believed to be buick swans were observed in different parts of the county their tameness pointing to their having made a long journey possibly under wearying conditions mr gurney wrote me on the fourteenth that the number of scalp ducks is certainly very remarkable and i expect to hear of some more greater spotted woodpeckers on november the tenth mr gurney gave me the total of scalps obtained as seventy-seven on the first of november i sent him an example which was reported in the zoologist as follows a female scalp in a very rufous state as regards breast neck and head received from mr patterson had probably acquired that ferruginous colour from feeding in water where there was oxide of iron it had been shot when making its last meal for several cyclas cornea identified by mr reeve were in its gullet on showing it to mr caton hay wrote mr gurney he said that he had seen one as rufous end of section twenty one